0: Hi, my name is Daniel Major. I'm the CEO of Govx Uranium. Uh, Govx is an African-focused Uranium development company. We've got projects in Niger, Zambia and Mali. focus is getting our Nigerian project through to financing and then production by 2025. So, looking forward to my discussion now.
1: Good to see you, um, Danny. It's been far, far too long. Um, and my goodness, how things have changed uh, in the market, not only for you guys, but also geopolitically at the moment, a lot going on. Russia, Ukraine, any concerns what that's going to do for your uh, industry?
0: Uh, I think first of all, you know, we, we have to put our thoughts to the people of Ukraine uh, who are having to go through this, um, which you know is, is unexpected and unheard of. So I think the first point you know, we have to make is our sympathy towards them. Uh, As an industry, um, it obviously is going to have an impact and it's already having an impact. I mean, one of the big talking points of the industry last year um, already and then moving into this year with what we saw in in Kazakhstan was the concerns of diversity of supply Um, and the fact that there is one very limited number of operations anyway around the world um, and two, a lot of them are under the uh, sphere of influence of, of Russia. Um, And I think, you know, this has just massively exacerbated that problem. And I think the other thing that is now going to become an even bigger problem is not just about uranium mines, it's about conversion facilities, it's about enrichment. I mean, you know, 20% of the uranium consumed in, in the US of A has been enriched in Russia. And while there were actions to try and reduce this, it's certainly not to zero. And I think the other point that's been coming around is the implications that sanctions direct or indirect are starting to have where, you know, shipping lines are starting to refuse to move material out of Russia. Um, And those that may not are also then we have big problems for everybody in the insurance market, where ships that go there may not be insurable, in which case you don't go even if you wanted to go. So I think that whole you know, and you've got to remember, uranium industry is a global industry. Material is mined from all over the world. It's sent to different conversion points all over the world, uh, and then enriched in different places all over the world. So it has to move around. Um, and you know, this is becoming a bigger, wider problem that we're seeing.
1: So, but uh, there's a more immediate problem, which is, you know, are we in danger of another black swan event? We 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 we've seen pictures of buildings in or near these uh, Zaporizhia um, uh, nuclear power plant in Ukraine. Um, a lot of conversation, a lot of nervous people out there. You know, is this another Fukushima and will that set the industry back?
0: Uh, look, that seems to one where the, the, you know, one, you'd be very surprised why the Russians were attacking a, a nuclear reactor in the first place. Um, uh, you know, you kind of like, really? Um, the, the second point the point where the fire was and the damage was was you know nowhere near any of the reactors anyway um and only one of the six reactors was currently operational so and I think you've got to remember nuclear reactors are really seriously stress designed i mean part of it is that the the dome that covers them you know and is designed to take the full impact of a passenger liner slamming into it um so you know they're not tiny little baby things that can be easily shaken. They have a lot of safety features built into them. Um, So I think from that point of view, yes, we have obviously got to be concerned when somebody, you know, for illogical reasons seems to directly attack a nuclear reactor. But I think, you know, what we've seen in the designs and everything else, they are very stable and robust pieces of kit. And are designed, and you've seen that in Japan where the reactors are being re, re, reserviced and re-engineered for a terrorist attack. So the industry takes it very seriously, the safety of those reactors uh, across the world. Um, so no, I don't see that. I mean, there's always a risk, um, you know, when someone does what has blindly, stupidly been doing here. But I don't see that as a, a high risk.
1: Right. So, so then, talk to me about the thesis for uranium if, they, if, if that. Is unlikely to impact um, the the industry in the sense that the thesis still holds true. What does it? I mean, what do you think?
0: Well, I think it. I think it's even getting stronger. Uh, I mean, I think there's a whole bunch of different things that are here. You know, nuclear is part of an energy package on en mass. You know, we get we get energy from oil, we get energy from gas, we get energy from coal, we get energy from renewables. Well, look what's happening here. You know, the gas lines are being cut all supply of gas is under risk into europe supply of coal and oil under risk because they're coming out of the soviet bloc the supply of a lot of the minerals that are being used to produce these things like nickel etc come out of that area and so and that was already a problem i mean you've got all these forecasts on renewables but the one thing that comes up in, in every renewable conversation which is where are the commodities going to come from that are keep feeding the construction of renewables in whatever form they are. So I think, and the other thing I think there's been a lot of talk about more recently as well is the energy in, energy out conversation that goes with different energy supplies. And uh, th- there's a very good article I read um, from Lee Goering and his partner, which was kind of highlighting that, you know, renewables, you put for every unit that you put in, you get three units out. Uh, for coal, it's 10. For oil, it's 50. For uranium, it's 100. Um, and, you know, th- that is also, I think, partly becoming what is-, is becoming part of that discussion. So, you know, I think this is just over. It's just raising up the profile that y- nuclear is safe and to the volumes are small. I mean, you're not like moving big volumes of material around. There's a lot of potential for uranium around the world. It's not a Uncommon mineral, Um, but you know, and and the capacity to generate power is fantastic. So, you know, I think this is very supportive.
1: So, let's talk about something you inferred uh, earlier on with regards to again, it comes back to the Russia uh, Ukraine situation, which is um, the relationship between Russia. China, because China, um, you know, announced you know a couple of months ago investment of four hundred billion bucks for new uh, reactors uh, in country. They've got to feed that uh, somehow. Yep. So there's two, two parts to this question is which is obviously uh, Russian uranium, Kazakhstan uranium, uh, and that relationship with China, and then obviously the old um, the old supermarket for uh, China has historically been Africa, and what's that going to do for some of the uranium? Um, developers in in Africa.
0: Yeah, let's go to the first part of that, which is you know there's obviously a very strong relationship already between Kazakhstan and and China. You know there's a rail line now linking them up. There's now a stockpile effectively, and my pronunciation is really bad, so I won't even try to pronounce it um, between the two. Um, and so, what are you looking at? Forty to fifty percent of all the uranium that's produced in Kazakhstan goes directly into China. Um you know, and China needs a lot more than that and and the one thing to remember about Kazakhstan and in the Kazastan problem I've put this slide up a few times is that come the end of the decade, a lot of their big um fields start to decline and start to decline very quickly, uh, and they 've made it very clear that yeah, we have more uranium, but it 's not going to come at the same economics or be guaranteed to come through uh than what we see already, so it is tied. It gets, but it's not enough to keep what China needs. And as you point out, China's got to go and look elsewhere. The other thing that, um, and Africa's obviously a key point uh, in in case here. The other thing to remember as well for China is that companies like CNNC are on the naughty list um, regarding, you know, the... um, the the US president, even Biden and Trump have both signed in, which is because of its relationship and others within the bloc in association with nuclear weapons, the owning of shares or share ownership issues by certain companies in China becomes a sanctionable problem. Um, And therefore you've got to look at that as well. And does that limit, you know, ownership, particularly if you look at North America, where you know a certain ownership, um, you've got the security uh, ownership. That, you know you can't go above forty nine percent or et cetera, But that now is much lower. So you know companies coming out of China will really struggle to invest directly into project in North America, or those companies that have got could see problems when they're looking at debt. Uh, because a lot of the banks will look at that and say, well, I actually can't do that because of this restriction.
1: Well, yeah, I guess that's a whole nother, nother conversation about um, n- new currencies, exchange rates, and, and uh, new, new banking systems yes. to a rival SWIFT, so um, between Russia and China, but let's say, let maybe park that up for now. But what, what, do, what does that mean in terms of assets in Africa held by North American companies? Australian companies uh, and the ability for the Chinese to access those, because I say, normally it's been the hunting ground for the for for the Chinese. Oh. Can they come in at project level? Can they indeed um, just well secure permanent offtake agreements? I mean, h- how do they play it then?
0: The offtake agreement is obviously still on the very much on the table. Uh, it can be done that way. Uh, or you can come and take the whole project, which has been the, historically their approach,
1: but not the company, I think, because not, of the sanction. possibility? No, they can acquire.
0: The, they can acquire the whole entity. Uh, I mean, that's that's not the the issue. Your issue then becomes if you've got a large investor who is a minority, uh, that may become a problem for you. Um, so you know, but that doesn't preclude you know, which is what has been going on in the past. China's desire to control things completely. And therefore, most of the transactions you've seen, they've just turned up and said, I'd rather just take the whole thing and put it under my own control. Right. Um, and so that's still, and I think that very clearly raises that flag. I mean, China has been looking to get into Kazakhstan, but, you know, while there's some degree of friendship and degree at the moment, you can see some of that, even China has been loath to be that supportive of what Russia is doing in Ukraine and has started to use the war word um, and, you know, it's clearly a, a political distancing, but, you know, as far as it can with somebody who's that close to itself. Um, so, um, you know, I think, you know, China, though, will be looking very much at Africa to access its material. Uh, it's geopolitically acceptable. Um, countries in Africa, you know, have, have been dealing with China for a long time. Um, and we'll accept China.
1: Okay, so I would say that you know c- conviction and a thesis must come through understanding. So so far we've been running through the global geopolitics um, outside of Africa. I want to go into Africa, right? Because again, there's been some dialogue and some narrative out there saying that Africa is uninvestable. It's AK forty-seven country, country territory. Um, they are backward. They don't know what they're doing. So how is it actually? on the ground in terms of running a business in Africa?
0: Well, yeah, in response to, you know, whoever writes those kinds of things, I think you certainly have got a question whether they've actually been to Africa, uh, you know, and and do they classify Africa as a country? Uh, Because there are 54 of them. Um, And they're all very different, and they all do different things and have different aspects of where they're going. Uh, And and to highlight it, you know, to say Africa is backward, you know, Africa has one of, uh, if not the largest mobile banking um platform anywhere in the world. Uh, I mean the majority of people know where they are do everything on a mobile phone. Um, yeah, it relies in a lot of countries. It doesn't have the power. People have to do the way the things they do. The subsistence farming is big. But you know, do not preclude that Africa, one, is advanced in what it's done. I've been to Somalia. I've worked, you know, looked around Somalia. Somalia, you know, could easily have been run in in Canada. Uh, You know, all the safety, everything that's sitting there, the skills. I mean, Niger has been consistently producing uranium since the early 1970s. You've got governments here who are focused on development of of commodities. They, They need commodities. They understand the old problem that they've had where you've got commodities and countries just haven't grown. But they have also realized it's now about power and you've got to grow power and the power base so hence renewables are becoming part of that uh, they are having to challenge the logic of getting rid of hydrocarbons because they're very reliant on it as a growth source as well but some of them are even looking at nuclear and i think the other point i would make is africa has the highest growth rate anywhere as a continent of all the continents and if you're investing in growth why would you not invest in africa um you know so the, the, when we work, you know, we we've been there now since 2007. You know, we've been in Niger drilling since 2008. We have a great relationship with the government. It's open. It con- it converses with you. It wants to get its projects. That's its primary because it wants job creation. It wants re- revenue creation for a government. It wants infrastructure development. You know. and st- CSR is helping as well and ESG, you know, because there's an increasing pressure on on companies, and the government's picking up on this as well, to get us to help the communities that are around the mines. It's no longer just we did it on our own. It's tying back through um, to what we do from the government's point of view as well. So, you know, so from Niger, you know, they're going in the right direction. Zambia's the same. Yeah, governments governments in the world all go up and down and have different approaches. I mean, classic being Australia. I mean, you must if you're a uranium miner, you must dread a Labour government, either at a federal or a state level. And then you get this small window when the Labour government gets kicked out and you have to sprint like a madman and become Ed Moses again. And then you've got to hope to get over a barrier. And if you don't get over that barrier, you have to lie down and rest for a very long period of time until the next Labour government is kicked out and you move to the next one. You've seen it in the US where there's a lot of talk about you know wanting to develop critical commodities but you know unless the EPA changes its approach on environment it's very very hard to move forward and then you've got the increasing power that indigenous groups get um as well who are allowed to just stop projects because they don't like it giving more power there than you know even the normal people elsewhere in the in the country so you know these are all factors you've got to build into it whereas you know, we have to deal with communities in Africa, we have to deal with the governments, we've got to do everything to an IFC standard when we do it. But there's an overall willingness by everybody to get projects to work and to get them, as long as they're run well and you take into account the community and you take into account the environment, there is a willingness and a desire to see projects get built that is not inherent elsewhere in the world.
1: So let's let's dig down into that. Okay, I want I want to kind of like do objection handling, right? So some of the, some of the comments sent to us are you know need to, be, need to be addressed. So, are with licenses and permits? They seem to be a lot quicker to get um, to go through the, the approval process. In Africa than they are, say, in Canada. Is that because the standards are lower? They are riding roughshod over the concerns of locals? Are backhanders being dished out? I mean, why is it quicker?
0: The Nigerian mining code actually states that the government has four months to review a license application um, and and make a decision. So you know, in, in that particular case, there is a commitment by the government to get the job done, so companies can get on with the job, which is not built into North American. You know, things just take the time that they take, and and a lot of people. The other part is, of course, land ownership. Um, so, in a particular case like ours, you know, the government owns the land, um, and therefore you're dealing directly with the landowner. You can then secure the su- surface rights. Zambia doesn't have quite the same issues, but it does move a lot faster than you want. We have a a very clear process. Um, Even when it becomes where you've got people living on your property, there is a very clearly defined relocation plan that you have to do where you engage with the community. Again, at the end of the day, it comes back to the IFC standards, which, you know, there are rules about moving people. You know, there's an understanding you have the mineral rights, you have the right to go in and mine that. And yes, you. May have to move people, but you have to do it within a set of standards. You know, any company that is wanting to secure foreign debt is going to have to follow the credit Principles and IFC. And so, in the case that we do it, all of our environmental permitting is done to an IFC standard. Are the local standards marginally below? Yes, you know they're easier, but you're finding that a lot of the governments are changing their standards. Uh, as well, and toughening them up um, going forward, but again, it's that focus. It's we want the mine, we need the development, we need. That's not what goes on in other parts of the world. Um, and if you look at like somewhere like Sweden, you know, completely confusing, um, where you've got the two looping around each other. But I think you know that's the emphasis that's different. What, what do you mean uh, by that? What do you mean? The, the- oh, the environmental side tends up to come in before the mining side, and that they've confused their own law. And there, the Swedish government has realised it's got to tidy it up, and so they're in a process at the moment of sorting that out. Um, uh, you know, and I think that, that's showing. You know, the governments around in the Western world have got to sort out this balance between environmental concerns, mining concerns, uh, etc. And you know, it, and then those are all key factors here. But no, Africa does not run roughshod over its people. Um, you know, that's not how governments work. You know We have a lot of push on us on dealing with communities properly um, and on providing support all of the time. And, you know, that's helped us actually stay um, on the properties while the Uranium price was in the doldrums.
1: Okay. Mali had a coup last year. How do you yeah. work around that?
0: One thing you'll find about governments is uh, no matter which government is in power, it likes tax. Uh, it needs tax. It needs people to be paying their things. Uh, governments like business to be as stable as possible going forward. Um, and, you know, it has to deal with politics and it has to deal with its issues. And obviously, you know, in the case of that, the coup government in in, um, in Mali that is in dispute with ECOWAS and, and the French, etc. Um, but it's it's still going on, you know. The mines ministry is still being the mines ministry and dealing with permitting and dealing with the things that we need to deal with. The, you know, you're not hearing any noise out there from the gold miners in Mali saying we've all stopped. You know, we can't operate. Yeah, there were you know border closures, but you know there are many borders and you can just use a different border because um, there were governments like Guinea, etc., who kept their borders open, so people just went around the border. You know, we've continued to work um, unabated uh, in what we do. Um so yes, I mean you you don't want to be in, in an area of conflict, but if you're out of that area of conflict, people have just carried on operating.
1: And what about what about so I've got to, I've got to say this story. I was speaking to a CEO of another uranium company and he was saying when he was in Vietnam, he was confused when he walked past a rubber plantation which was continuing to work as it normally had, and he went, hang on, we're at war here. What what's going on? He said well, because both both sides had come to an agreement with the owner that they needed some of the, the output and the product. So, uh, they, they circumnavigate that uh, particular plot of land. Um, but so, you know, war doesn't necessarily always in- thing, interrupt.
0: Yeah. The other thing though is, I think, you know, is people need purpose, no matter what you're doing, uh, you know, and no, you can't all just sit down and go, Oh my goodness! It's so shocking. I can't and just go into a state of sort of comatose. People need purpose. People just carry on with their lives, and will continue to carry on with their lives um, until whatever event is directly impacts them. And so, you know, people still need salaries. They still need to take money home. They still need to feed their families, uh, and that applies across the whole industry. And and so no, it, it's not affecting and. You know, there's been that strong emphasis, which we've always done, which is you stay with local people. They understand it. They get it. You know, people keep driving around the country. They get it.
1: What about Zambia? Because obviously, it's had a, you know, historically, it's had, it's had a, it's a, it's a tricky, tricky past. But, you know, how is it operating there today? Is it any different from Niger or different from Mali? Or was they broadly the same issues?
0: Broadly uh, the same issues. Uh, obviously, we don't, we're not in the Sahel. We don't have that issue. Um, but no, I mean, look we had there were issues on, with the last government on the way it was acting, but, you know a very socialist approach towards expenditure uh, and what it was spending money on, and some of the things were questionable, but you know some gov- all governments can spend money on questionable things, including PPE in the UK. Um, but what you still again see is you know, whichever minds minister we've had, in our particular case, it's always being you know we want your project to get built. Um, you know the the region you're in needs investment, it needs jobs, and in the case of Zambia, Zambia is working towards being a nuclear country, so it's it's developing up its radiation laws and its, its rules associated with that. So you know for us that's great. So we're part of that program as well going forward. So no, I, I don't have any major issues. In any of these, and it 's all down to communication as well, keep talking to people you know th- th- that's the good thing you know is you can get into the ministries easily. you talk to people, you have the conversations chicken this year we 're quite a big investment relative to the country, then obviously we get to a much higher level um, within the government, but it's all about communication They say we stay you know local in all countries because our people have the commitment because it's in their country that the thing is being built as well
1: right so, so talk to me about money okay I want to money because the, the money is very important for companies in terms of keep, keeping things flowing you you've used a phrase there um, you know um, growth right growth people for a while people stopped talking about growth it sort of about talks about creating value I, you know but that it's hard to comprehend what that meant, and certainly in terms of, you know, for investors trying to understand what it meant for them. Growth, I understand, it's, it's you know, um, it, it's, a, it's a simple concept, but money drives that. So financing, obviously we've seen the EU taxonomy include nuclear and gas in there as a, as a, as a you know, renewable, that's good news. What are you seeing um, further afield that leads you to believe that perhaps the money will be available for projects like yours, where perhaps you know it was perhaps, but people may have been a little concerned about lending money to anything associated with nuclear. Um, and then, so secondly, in terms of the the increasing costs, we're seeing inflation and shipping costs yeah. and all that sorts of things. So, that, can you deal with those sort of two parts of the equation? Therefore, your growth story.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's start with the, with the you know the appetite for financing. Let's start with that bit first. I mean a number of factors that come in here and as you as you appreciate there's the debt side there's the offtakes and there's the equity and i think a, a number of factors are coming through one obviously the uranium price just changes people's views you know when you're talking to a, a credit bank and and the uranium market's going downwards for years no one's interested you know you look at the analyst community as well they just stopped writing stories about uranium companies uh, and they took on lithium stocks in, as well instead for a change you know so that's a big driver I I mean, you know, the whole okay. You know, these things are becoming investable now. We'll we'll do it. I think generally there's a comfort level um, around Africa. Uh, You know, there are now the big. There are a lot of banks, particularly coming out of North Africa as well, and the African Development Banks, um, and and even places. You know, there's a lot of banks who are willing to finance um, through export credits, and are looking at trying to drive countries like. Niger. Um, so, you know, we've had a lot of rela- good relationships with the, the export credit agencies and, and their you know, the interest in, in that side. So, I think that's, that's an important factor um, that's uh, here as well, which just ties together. But the other thing, which is the off-takes, you know, clearly you need a price to underpin your project. Any project that you do in commodities generally needs to have a hedging strategy. In the Uranium industry, we have a natural hedging strategy called long-term contracts they're just built out there. And so your ability now to turn around and say, and you know, clearly see in your own view, I have the potential now to lock in those contracts that are needed that when the debt guys look at it, they can see a flaw on the price. Uh, and that underpins their risk review when they go forward um, as part of it. And then obviously equity, you know, we're already seeing lots of new players now appearing all over the place, private and public in the uranium sector, so there's now it's got into a flurry there. So clearly, the uranium market from from that point of view. So, yeah, the, the debt side. I think people are generally becoming more comfortable investing in Africa because of this whole growth scenario. Why would you not? Um, and then the other side is it, it, you're right. Inflation is sitting out there. Um, uh, it, you know, one of the good things for us is that we actually updated, and we did this on purpose. Uh, to be honest, is we've always taken a view of where the market's going and try to figure out where we need to be next on our pipeline and our development profile to be ready because I did not want to do an FS until I felt the market was going to be ready because if it's not, you have to do it again. Um, So try not to do it twice. They're not cheap. Um, And so get ready. And I think, you know, so we last did the last one in February last year. So it's only a year old. Uh, That's the first point I'd make. A lot of things have changed. Um, and there's two parts to this, really. As engineers, our primary role is to figure out ways of doing things better than we were doing it before. Um, and I think a lot of the projects you've seen suddenly escalating um, are quite old in PFS and are trying to go to FSs um, and are getting hit by things. There are environmental factors, some of these coming in as well, where the design changes are kicking in that they were not expecting to happen and are making changes. (coughs) We did our PFS particularly to clear out a lot of risk Um, and we did it from a debt perspective and said, look, what can we do to simplify this project and let's make sure we're covering off our risks. So that was an important point of what we were doing under the the PFS and and allowed us to smoothly progress into this next stage. And and then, you know, the last one is be engineers. What can you do to re-engineer your project You know you're seeing inflation and then really the other thing, I think some of the costs that you're looking at, you have got to be sensible about how you're looking at inflation and saying, is that today's inflation or where's where's that cost going to be or forecast to be in 2023 or 2025 when you're actually in operation? Um, You know, there are things like we've had the shipping crisis go through because of COVID. We've seen that easing off. Prices have been coming down fairly sharply. So if you pick it at the wrong time, you've got to be sensible about, okay, that's that um, and try and get a look through price on that as well.
1: Okay. And I'm so broadly feeling that you're saying like we can control what we can control. You don't, although the global situation at the moment is, 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 difficult and it's a bit sad um, that hopefully the Russia-Ukraine situation sorts itself out. It may change the makeup of political alliances, but it, it won't affect the demand uh, supply thesis as far as you're, you're concerned. So, um, which i th- finish with this question, which is, you have been, I guess, the, it feels like, positioned as the kind of uh, obvious takeover target for uh, Global Atomic, because you're both in the share, yeah, you should come together, makes total sense. And I say that in the context of the, the conversation we had earlier about China. What's China going to do? Because it needs to feed it, feed itself as well. So, how are you positioning yourself? Um, are you positioning yourself for a takeover to get into construction yourself? Um, and if if it is a takeover, are you leaning towards um, you know some of these roll up conversations we're hearing about in the market, or is it obvious that you and every single other African uranium producer will be heading east.
0: First point strategically and operationally, we focus on actually being a developer. Um, And and the key reason for that is, is purely practical. You, at the end of the day, if you do not get taken over, you are the one holding the baby. So you better be ready to build what you're actually presenting. Do not go out there and fluff something up to make it more attractive for a takeout and then suddenly find nobody turns up at the door to take you out for a date because you will then let down your shareholders because you'll not be able to build the thing that you've presented to the market. So our approach is to design this thing to be built appropriately going forward. So you know, the level of detail, the way we're thinking now about bringing people on, the timeframes, everything that we do is all about how do we get ready to build this thing Assuming our FS comes out the way we go, we started as a consolidator ourselves back in 2016, if you remember, because we went and took Denison's assets, then we went and took Africa. We got the bottom in the market spot on. We were just a little too early in how it was going, momentum was going to go, but we got it right. Um, you know, if we were to be approached by you know a company from outside wanting to take all of our assets or one of our assets, you know, if it was an egregious payment for us to do that hey, I wouldn't step in the way of shareholder value at all. I mean, you know, that's what we get given the task of strategically um, to go forward. Um, does that also mean that we're not looking at things? You know, as a company, we should always be looking at other opportunities. You know, we, we put together our pro- company as, as a pipeline of projects because we realised that that was going to be where you needed to be in the future. And one point for all, most of my peers is they have no pipeline. They're, they're one-trick ponies and when they built that, that's it. We realised that that was not going to be the way we wanted to go forward. We needed to balance our risk uh, and we put together the pipeline that we have. And you know, Do we continue to look at risk and pipelines all the time? Uh, always looking at ideas, opportunities of, of how it may play through.
1: Okay, so you're getting on with the business of controlling where you can control, but but you accept there's a, there's a, there is a conversation about M and A uh, out there in the marketplace. It's it's obvious that a lot of these companies don't have you know a big enough asset base themselves, yeah. um, or quite frankly, in, in some cases, I doubt their ability to actually get into into production um, so anywhere near the, the the current prices or even below 100 bucks. Quite frankly, so it's got to happen, and that, that's the kind of public company side of things where they need to kind of continue their version of a growth story, right? I'm, I keep coming back to this Chinese thing. It's like, do you think that's inevitable? Given that, um, it feels like no. you guys are the next out of the block. Sorry, the, the African developers are the next out of the block. They're going to be in production way ahead of anything in North America, in, in, in Canada, certainly. So,
0: Do I think it's inevitable? I don't think anything is ever inevitable.
1: Um, okay. Philosophy as, aside, no. do you think it's most more likely then?
0: Has it a good probability?
1: Yeah, Absolutely, right.
0: Uh, I, I think there there is a high probability, but I think also, it, it comes back to, what do the Chinese need? The mm. Chinese need uranium. Do they need to acquire a whole company to get their uranium, or can they cut an offtake contract that gets their uranium? Either are possible, but they need uranium. If they can't get what they want, or they want to control, then they will come in and look to acquire the whole company and take it. You know, and and. You know, cynically, that's one of the reasons why we built ourselves a pipeline to make ourselves more attractive. So when that person does knock at the door, we're looking pretty cute for the night out. So you know, the, these are the this is the the aspect of it as a company. You've got to be thinking about all the things that are driving your risk point of view um, and where people will see you as a company. And I think you know that's the one thing we don't probably get enough credit for as a company is that we do have a, a, a very impressive pipeline sitting there and. Two of the projects are already permitted, um, so we've removed that geopolitical risk.
1: Right. So where's your future? Obviously, I think most uranium companies, bar I think this morning, or because of the, the news coming out of um, Ukraine, um, have seen an uplift in the last couple of weeks um, after a period of sort of coming off um, since, I, 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 I guess, since you know the initial sput announcement. Yeah. Um, where's your growth? Coming from what, what? What should your shareholders or people looking to you, you know, a two hundred fifty million dollar uh, market cap company? What, what are you going to? What do you control of that you can say? Look, uh, I, I believe these these events, if we deliver them properly, on time, on budget, all of that should drive value. Should sorry, should drive growth. Well,
0: yeah, it's growth and value because look, you, when you're a developer, you're you're valued as a developer, and the risk associated with will you ever get to the other end of the pipeline. Uh, or not. Once you get into production, certainly the first one, you know, that massively reduces the risk associated with you as a company's ability to achieve what you're going to achieve and the capital investment risk and the dilution risk because you've now got it. It's built, it's going, it's generating cash flow. It also then goes on to the next project for us, which is okay, they did that one and they did it well. Or badly, whichever turns up. But hopefully, it's it's done well. Then, okay, we'd probably expect them to be able to do the next one. And so, for us, it's you know we're going from no uranium production to you know two million to two and a half million pounds to five million pounds. You know, that's a substantial growth rate uh, for a company. And then, you know, one of the advantages with Niger, particularly even with the existing project, the sheer scale of the exploration and the scale of the deposits we've already got you know, we may decide, all right, we're very comfortable with Niger, it's working well, let's double it up, make it bigger. Um, you know, we can do that, we can start another mine up there. Um, so, you know, these are where we can now then look at the next stage and say, let's go, go bigger in Niger. Um, and all right, we're now there, where do we want to start adding ground or looking at other properties that bring our growth through it. But we've got inherent growth without taking on acquisition risk.
1: Okay. Look, like, i I think maybe we should wrap it up there just in terms of the the, the, the time um but it'd be great if you can come on and maybe we' do a little bit more of a deeper dive into the projects proper I <laughs> matter is I think reasonably well understood, but it 'd be great to get an yep. update on that one but in terms of how you move Mali forward, how you move Zambia forward because as i say it's a, it's a different environment from when we first started speaking you know over over two years ago yeah. where one you were cash constrained and two the just the appetite wasn't there so the price in the market wasn't there um, to do much about that but now you've got options on the table so I appreciate your time today thank you
0: always a pleasure always a pleasure